right, welcome back to another episode of the Start Well podcast. I'm Kasim, and this time in studio with my friend Adam Wheatner. Wheatner? Whitener. Whitener. It's, yeah, it's a German name. Weitner. Yeah, you got it. That's it. Awesome. Um, Adam's going to be telling us all sorts of magical stories about his wonderful life in creative <laughs> stuff. Uh, and uh, I'm, I'm excited to dig into all that his uh, adventures yield in terms of inspiration for anyone considering paths, um, you know, in their career, in, uh, in, in the arts, in culture, in business, and all that together. So <laughs> welcome to the studio, Adam. Thank you very much. Thank you, Kasim, for having me here. Of course. Pleasure to have you here, man. I don't know how magical the stories will be, <laughs> but I'll, uh, I'll do my best. I'll fill them with as much whimsy as I can. Absolutely. You know, I'm not going to hold you against any particular measure of magic. My daughter is not in studio with us today, so she's okay. not going to be, you know, expecting unicorns. <laughs> Go for it. Perfect. Let's start with an introduction, okay? Because yeah. I know you. Mm-hmm. Uh, we haven't known each other that long, but um, but it's been really cool because um, my take on who you are is probably a limited slice of who you think you are, of course. Sure, yeah. <laughs> so of course. Why, don't, why don't you tell our audience and tell me a sure. little bit of uh, a little bit of who the the Adam Weitner, yeah, uh, you know, story, how that story unfolded, and brought you here. Sure. Well, yeah, I'll start with just a quick who I am. So again, my name is Adam Whitener, and um, you know, you might know me as the owner of a studio uh, called Astrolab Studios, which is a studio, uh, and this is how Kasim really knows me. Uh, yeah. You know, it's a studio set up to support Toronto's creative community, um, predominantly commercials corporate videos, um, music videos, sort of anything creative and visual, basically. Uh, that's sort of what we're set up to support. So we're a facility, a space. You know, we've got like the white site coves and uh, we've got lots of gear, lighting, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So that's kind of how I'd say most how most people know me because that's the business that I created, the brand that I created, Astrolab Studios. Right, right. That's what I'm really known for. But um, I'm also a photographer and that's uh, really been taking off for me. That's been something I would have called like a side passion hobby thing for many, many years um, since my first DSLR, which was like a Rebel something, T1 or something like that, maybe. Yeah. That was a good camera. When that series came yeah. out, it was, it was like, <laughs> we all felt like pros, right? Totally. It's like you yeah. had the power in your hand. Absolutely. And learning to shoot manual, you know, that was my first camera where I learned to shoot manual. Anyway, uh, so I'm a photographer as well, and uh, I'm sure we'll talk more about that. Sure. And then I'm also now, and this is just kind of funny to me, um, but I guess you could say I'm technically a DJ. I've actually been paid and had real gigs with audiences. <laughs> well, you're official when you take the money. That's right. As soon as, exactly, right? I remember like my first career out of college, which was in basically public relations. I remember asking a mentor like, hey, like, am I, can I call myself a PR pro now? And he's like, well, do you get paid for it? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, well, then I think so, yeah. And I'm like, hmm, that's an interesting measure. So that's how I've kind of always been. It's like, it's a hobby until you get paid for it. And then it becomes actually work. It's like, holy, people are paying me to do this. So anyway, that's still just like a side hustle thing at best. But yeah, it was a pandemic hobby, you know, something I always wanted to learn to DJ. And so during the pandemic, I had the time. I bought a controller. And I got a, well, first I got a lesson to make sure it was something I was actually into. Who taught you how to DJ? My dear friend, Patrick Wynn, who, okay. uh, I, he inspired me to DJ from the first place because he would always play our house parties and everybody loved him. Everyone's like, this guy's amazing. The music's so good. 
And I was like, one day I want to DJ my own house party. Like I like to host. I love having people. Yep. I want to entertain them too. I want to like play mu- I love music and I want to play music for my guests. That was like my my real ambition and motivation to do it. But uh, it just kind of took on, on a life of its own, really. I mean, that first lesson I had, yeah. and he's obviously my friend, but he wasn't bullshitting me when he was like, dude, I give a lot, like I've taught a lot of people how to DJ. He's like, you're a natural. Like you've got, there's something, you've got like a knack for it right away. You understood it immediately and you just started going. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I got pretty hooked on it. I bought my first controller and... I just basically started playing all the time because I was just loving it. It was something to do. Yeah. But I was recording my sets so that I could learn and I would listen to them back and be like, oh, that really was a big mistake there or whatever. But you heard it. You heard it. Yeah, I could identify. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I remember those days. So that's in a nutshell who I am. So I'm a, uh, you know, my business is a studio owner. Yep. And then my hobby slash careers are photography and DJing, which ultimately do as much as they may seem like completely separate things. Yeah. Something's visual and something's audible, you know, music, you don't see music, but something that I'm really interested in doing now that I'm getting my feet and my confidence under myself in each of these different areas is to marry the two things. And like, how can I make my photography more audible, right? Like, how can I bring the vibe and the feeling of music into my work as a photographer? Mm-hmm. And that's how, I, and I know that's an interesting thought, right? It is, it that's is. That's a way that I think I can find my own little niche if I can somehow bring the idea of sound into my pictures. Right. Um, and similarly, how can I invoke images with the music, right? Okay. On the flip side of that. Rewind. Yeah. Rewind selector. <laughs> Pull it back. Um, the question I have, or at least uh, there's lots of questions, but um, the theme that I want to explore is the basis of this kind of like, how do you pursue multiple interests, passions, abilities, so on, and creative stuff, Yeah, you know, paid or unpaid, uh, is this, you know, we don't live, uh, of course, in a time where uh, it's not the Renaissance, okay? Uh, we don't have patrons. And so I think, you know, this idea that you've kind of cooked up, which is cool, is like the, you know, run a business that is creative in its own nature. You're dealing with creative people. It acts as inspiration. Yeah. De-risks you investing time, effort, money into your pursuits uh, in these different mediums. That's true, yeah. As an artist. Yeah. And then uh, that gives you the ability to to have a launch pad, right? Exactly, Um, yeah. But- before we dig into the kind of the future and merging these these things and exploring them give me some of the backstory like how did you what was the inspiration a uh, and where were you comfortable enough or where do you think what do you think in your history made you comfortable enough Mm. to say i am going to open a media studio sound stage it's just like one of those things that you know and again because your boutique size at astrolabs yeah uh, you know, if you're not a uh, 30,000 square foot corporate venue, uh, there's very few people in Toronto that open these spaces as entrepreneurs saying, I'm going to mm-hmm. undertake this entry into this really difficult, crazy, weird business. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, that's a really big question to answer for sure. Um, you know, I'd say there's basically two main motivators that sort of drove me throughout the whole thing. One of them being that I hated the career path and progression that I was on. Which was? So I was working in public relations agencies, which are a fantastic environment. We work with 
amazing clients, like the, the brand names that I always wanted to work on, I got to work on. And, you know, it was my dream job, like my dream come true. Everything was going exactly to plan, except that like my first big agency job, um, I got to do, I was a, basically like a content creator role. Okay. And so I was writing all the, mostly it was Facebook at that time. I was writing all the posts, like the captions. I was even shooting and uh, one of my clients was Jello. I used to make things out of Jello and then take photos of them and wow. post them. And I loved, you know, my job, that part of my job I loved. But uh, back then you also would be like an account person too. They didn't really like, right? you know, I so I was technically an account person and one problem I had was that I guess I was too good with people and clients and they identified that within me pretty yeah. early and like kind of pushed me toward more client. I got brought up quickly so too like, and stop promoted. creating things and start managing these relationships. Yeah, I think that's where they saw my real value. And it's not to say that I wasn't creative or I wasn't creating cool shit, but yeah. I think they felt like and I'm not, I'm only assuming that just based on the way my career went very quickly, again, I got promoted quickly, which was nice. And it was like, wow, I'm making more money, you know, every year it's more and more I'm getting promotions and this is awesome. Right. It, it felt like. Yeah. But what I realized eventually was that less and less I was getting to do those fun things I loved. Right. And so I tried switching agencies to another fantastic agency, um, with great clients and really cool opportunities. And, uh, Again, it was kind of like they really didn't want me to, as much as I expressed that I want to be able to flex my creative muscles, so to speak, and, uh, you know, actually pick up a camera once in a while and like lead the creative on things. And they did say like, yeah, well, you know, we do have those opportunities. Again, I think pretty quickly they were like, you're good with the clients. Like when a client's kind of going off the rails, like you're the kind of guy we can throw in that, you know, so... Ultimately, I kept ending up being the client guy all the time. Right. Yeah. Which I do like parts of too. Don't get me wrong. Like I love people. I love working with people. Uh, I love the challenges that clients throw at you. It's as as stressful as it is. It's also develops you and makes you better at what you do. So, um, you know, like everything that I knew and the ability to start my own business came from working in these agencies. Like they train you for it essentially because you're really your own boss. Like at the end of the day, you've you represent these clients. These are you. You have to sell. You're always selling, you know, and either selling ideas or trying to get even more money, growing the budgets. Right. Right. So you're a salesperson. You're like you wear many hats. So it's all good stuff. But needless to say, I know I'm going long winded here. It's no, a long it's story. Good. It's all good. But needless to say, is that so you're working in PR? Yeah. It was taking mostly you social media, but in PR agencies and taking you on a path that explored your talents, but not. The ones that were yeah. calling to you. Exactly. I basically saw where my career was going and I looked at my superiors that were within the same career path that I was on. Right. And I saw that I didn't want to be doing what they were doing. Right. And that if that was my future, I was in the wrong field. So okay. Okay. that was a realization that came long before I actually started the business or made the leap to leave and get out of the, like quit my job. Um, but uh, that was a big motivator for me. And then another one was just that I had identified that there was a lack of space that supported 
Now, keep in mind what I ended up creating and what you know of Astrolab yeah. is actually much even bigger than what I had set out to create. Okay. So what was the initial the, the yeah, kernel? The initial idea was to have a like a turnkey studio, kind of pre-lit for the most part. Um, you know, you might have to come in and tweak the lighting a little bit, but there'd be lighting all in the grid. There'd be lighting ready to go right there on the floor. Small space, uh, tabletop ready to move in and out easily because a lot of it would be product. And we would have all different surfaces, like different types of wood and barn board and things like that, marble, uh, different shooting surfaces. We would have backdrops galore, props. And we would really be set up for you could come in for three hours with your product. Bing, bang, boom. You got your social content out the door you go. Product photography for social. Photography and like gifts and you know like little bite-sized pieces of content basically for social media where you wouldn't have a huge budget to be able to rent a studio for a day plus get a driver to go get gear and bring gear rent gear blah 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 all these things yeah so and it would be in liberty village because there are so many creative agencies there that need that like they're shooting stuff in their boardrooms. I know because that's what we did. Yeah, yeah. Like, and I know They'd a lot. Call you of, in as a photographer to come and do it, or yeah, no, the, we were doing it at the agency. I wasn't being hired as a photographer at that oh, time, yeah, right. right? This is before me being able to call myself really legitimately a photographer. At right. that time, I was more. I was more of a hobby, really. Yeah, I still felt that way even in my career, even when I was shooting stuff. Like I shot posts for like Tim Hortons, even that ended up on their social media. But I didn't, still didn't think of myself at that time as a photographer. It was that because you weren't being paid for that. I creative? was being paid. Well, not specifically for that creative. <laughs> no, I was being. I was on salary, and my role was really the account management side of things, which I was doing well, I think, and working hard at. But at the odd time, they'd throw me a bone and be like, "Oh, here, you want to shoot this thing?" And I'd be like, "Yes, absolutely, I do." Yeah. And I obviously didn't get paid extra. Anyway, it was a job, but I didn't look at it that way. I'm going off my no, point now. No, it's an interesting point though, because and I have I have a weird anecdote from my own history that yeah. that dovetails into this. This weird thing of um, business in general, you know, whether you're small business, medium size, or large, um, no matter what your politic is, there's always going to be, and it could be because of the competitive nature of business. There's always going to be this kind of like question people have at all levels of, of management or superiority, to use that word, right, that you were saying, um, of kind of like people questioning whether they're doing um, a good job of managing resources and whether resources should be these things that go into spreadsheets. And that kind of like X factor of like, what can a smart person do at this organization that affects the bottom line? And adds to future revenue, expand a relationship with a client, whatever that could be, that could be monetizable or not, but adds benefit to the value, expresses value for the company, um, sounds like a risk to a lot of people, you know, mm -hmm. and then, then that holds them back. And a lot of companies get held back that way. And so small business always is cautious of kind of like stepping on the toes of their big competitors to be wiped out. And then big companies are... Uh, suffering the same problem for their internal human resources and people not wanting to get shanked and fired, you know? Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I've been through this loop many times myself. I once had a corporate job. Can you imagine? I worked at yeah. IBM, which was, like, <laughs> hilarious. Uh, I guess it's it's like trial by fire, and uh, that house is constantly burning down. But I was working at IBM, and I was running their startup program across Canada, which was this, like, fledgling thing that, you know, tried to do things but didn't really have goodwill because like everyone's like fuck ibm mm. you know 
and uh, startups were anyway. They're very mistrustful of mm. of the one of the world's largest employers. Four hundred thousand staff are going to come, you know, help you. Great, uh. that's scary. It's an army. Um, and uh, so it was really funny because I remember this one time I built. Uh, I rolled up my sleeves for a week because I can code, and uh, I built a platform that would bring together a social network that would bring together. Uh, thousands of startups that were in our database, our uh, member companies, and give them access to IBM resources. And it was this beautiful private kind of intranet solution. And I rolled up my sleeves. I unveiled it in in, in San Francisco at one of our big meetings, annual meetings. Nice. And everyone was aghast because they were like, you didn't get approvals on the 5,000 things that normally you would get approvals for, so we can't roll this out. And I'm like, no, but it works. And I've already beta tested it with 300 people, 300 startups, and they love it. And it's great. We're going to do it. And nice. it was just shocking, you know, shortly after I was no longer an employee of IBM. <laughs> but <laughs> but it's funny, you know, this you know the the idea that expectations are are upon your performance within manageable um boundaries. And that can cause friction like as an employee, as someone who's part of a team, you want to kind of express yourself and add value and do things and that shouldn't necessarily yeah. be at odds with belonging, right? For sure. Okay, so now back to you. Well, no, so I, yeah, I think just as far as I forget where I was going exactly, I think we were um, looking at sort of my motivations, I guess, for starting Astrolab. And oh, yeah, essentially, I was trying to create something much smaller than what it is. Yes. And basically, by virtue of not being able to find an, uh, a lease that, fit the size of what I needed and the sort of specs I needed um, and was at a rate that made sense on paper. Like if I looked at what can I reasonably charge people, you know, and versus my cost and it's like, it didn't really make sense. So I was kind of abandoning the idea just on that basis alone. It was like, maybe the idea actually isn't as good as I thought. Like maybe there's a reason there aren't these studios. They don't exist. Right. Um, But my, real estate agent who's a sharp guy said let me just throw a hail mary here he's like there's a number of film studios in town like bigger studios maybe they have a space they a smaller space or something they'd be down to rent out i'm like okay go for it he ends up calling me back saying there's a spot revival 629 it used to be toronto film studios it's on eastern just at Carlaw, basically so just almost right in the city great location i said sure let's go check it out as soon as we got there, I was like, wow, like I kind of knew there was something within me that was like, yeah, this is, I got, I got to do this. I have to go for this, but I knew nothing. Like I'm, I was on a film lot for real, like a legit one with star trailers and actors and crew around and stuff. And I, they, I went in and it was like a fairly, it's not huge, but, but it's big, but by the standards yeah. of my time, like my context at that time, it was huge because I had been thinking much smaller. And I felt like I don't have a clue, but based on like the fantastic per square foot price that they were offering this space for, yeah, and the numbers that I was crunching even just in my head at that time, I was like, this could really work. And what was your feeling that? And, and when was this? What year was that? It? Was in 2016. Right. Uh, yeah, in five like years July, ago. I think I toured in, and by August, we had a signed lease. For five years done i got the keys like august 30 13th i think actually do you remember the feeling that you had that night when you like you went to the space you saw it for the first time and you went home and like were you thinking about that space was it like yeah blowing your brain up 
Well, yeah, I mean, I'm sure it consumed my every thought pretty much once I knew that, like, yeah, I want to do this. This is what I'm going to do. Because then I had now, like, a real, I guess, foundation to build the rest of my planning around. Like, I already had a business plan at that point, obviously. Yeah. But it was based loosely around an idea, whereas, like, now there's actually a physical structure to start building my idea around for real and start looking at some real costs of, because, you know, I want to do some renovation and I need to purchase equipment and I want this place to be everything it could be. Right. And I don't want to half-ass it. That's not the way I do things. So, yeah. Yeah. So, anyway, I just knew and I, but the, the really interesting point for anyone listening is that I didn't really know anything. Like, I honestly. <laughs> That's a very interesting point like, indeed. All I knew at that time was that there was demand and that this type of space didn't exist to serve this type of market. I knew it. And right. I had gut instincts on it. I did obviously speak with people in the industry, trusted colleagues and people that I had through six degrees of separation could get insights from. And those insights were pretty clear too. But honestly, most of it was like a hunch and I just kind of knew I did a lot of Googling and just like going around talking to people, going and checking out the other studios in the city, touring them. Right. Which is how we met. Well, we met, you came after I'd opened. Yeah. So I guess you were probably doing the I same thing. I was doing the same You're thing. You're doing the same thing. Exactly. Right. So that's what you do. It's like you got to research, figure it all out, figure out is this viable? What can we do? How can we approach this? Like there's just so much to think about, obviously. But again, again the point is, is that I didn't know and that's okay because through my further research and my day-to-day activities, I slowly but surely figured it out. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like, you don't have to have every answer because you usually won't. And if you wait until you have every answer, you're probably too late. Because if I waited on this idea until I had the answers, which would have taken another year or two at least, till I felt like very confident about, okay, I know how this works. Right. And to be honest, I wouldn't even be able to. Like the experiences I gained, I only gained because of doing it. Personally, The yeah. point is, if I waited two years, I would have been too late. Like too many new studios came on the market. Yeah, because the whole studio thing was blowing up. At least yeah. bigger studios. Even small stuff. It's just like there's, yeah. But like I don't think I would have, if I didn't get my lease when I did. Yeah. If I came two years later, Revival wouldn't have taken me, I don't think, because their business went nutso because of all the Amazon and the Netflix and blah, blah, blah. Right. Series content that's shooting in Toronto. It's bananas. So, like, our industry is booming like crazy. It's at all high level, all time highs. I don't think they would have given me the space then. Now they've allowed me to renew for five more years because they like having me and they see the benefit of having me there. Right. But if I had come in, they didn't know who I am and their business is booming, they're not going to give me some of their space. There's no way. They're like, this is some no-name guy. He's never even run a studio before. Like right. They wouldn't trust it in me. At the time, there was a sl- sort of a lull in the industry and it wasn't booming as big as it is right now. It's interesting. So my timing was perfect, honestly. It's a fascinating thing because I tell a lot of people this because this same story for us in terms of co-working, right? And yeah. All the locations that have opened, the buildings that have opened, it's been serendipitous when, uh, you know, there was that connection of like vision. Like I see this property. It wasn't supposed to be part of my plan. Uh, it changes the business model. But figuring it out has to be part of the process of implementation. Yeah. Well, at least that's a bootstrap kind of mentality, right? Is yeah. that like... Because if I figure it, like, I'm one of those people. I'm an entrepreneur who can sit there and strategize and create a business plan on anyone's business. Mm-hmm. I can break your business down and I can hand you your numbers. Yeah. And they'll shock you because they're not only on point, but they'll be better than your numbers. 
Um, and I mean, that's part of why I mentor a lot of startups and stuff, right? Right. But it's funny because I am not at this point in my life, and even the last five years since I founded Startwell while you were founding your company and starting, yeah. um, I'm less interested these days in uh, businesses that I can do that for. I'm really interested in the like the mm. stuff that's like I can throw myself into at least yeah. for my time, and uh, and figure it out along the way because that's like so much there's so much fulfillment. Absolutely in life, right? right. Yeah, that's part of what drives me. Even like I, you know, I have a thing like always be learning. Right, like that's a big part of my sort of life and who I am. Yeah, it comes from stems from my desire to always be learning something new. And that comes from, I guess, probably just my ADD and the fact that I get bored and if something becomes repetitive to me, I can't do it. I don't like repetitive yeah. and I don't like just sitting around. I need to be constantly engaged and challenged, right? So, right. Um, yeah, I mean, that's that's why it thrills me. But there, I meet a lot of people that they think I'm crazy or they're like, how the hell? Like, I could never do it. I had people that I wanted to involve who are very smart people, but they were too afraid because they're like, oh, I when, are you sure? Is this even going to work? And I'm like, right. I'm not sure. No, right. I'm not. The unknowns seem too large, right? Like, to, what yeah. do you know about this industry? And like, can you prove it? And yeah. Ooh. So, you know, I think if you let that hold you back, then you're, you know, you'll, you'll never, you're, you're going to be stuck forever. You kind of have to just say, I'm going to take a chance, you know, like I don't know and I'll figure it out as I go. Yeah. And if you put in the effort and you take the steps required to learn and figure it out, you will, and you'll succeed probably because you're coming at it from the right place. And even if it morphs along the way and your idea ends up being something different than you set out to create, um, that's good because that means you adapted as you learned and mm -hmm. figured it out. Mm -hmm. And that will, again, aid in it being successful. Just the very fact that you were adaptable and you did figure out, okay, what does the market really need? And you shifted. I've shifted number. My business is constantly shifting. Yeah. My target audience and who I was like really selling to when we first opened is completely different than who I'm selling to now and the types of clients I'm attracting now it, and not like at the same it's the same facility we've you know we have added a bunch more gear and we've we've changed the layout a little bit of some of the rooms and things and but really not a lot has changed but it's just been about figuring out who are we really good for and what client is the best suited to work with us and that's been like the next part of the challenge. Once I figured out, okay, now how do I run a studio? Got that down. That was figuring out who my clients were. And it's right. like, it's always changing. Yeah. The market is always Finding that sweet evolving. spot. That too, right? The needs of the clients are changing too. Yeah. So you kind of have to just like adapt and follow along with them on that journey. You can't just be like, oh no, this is how we do things here at Astrolab. We're set in our ways then that's it. You won't, you know, you won't be successful that way. I don't think you have to be adaptable. And part of that, which is so great is that that means you don't have to know everything because w what you know today means shit for tomorrow. Right. So it's like, it's okay if you don't know anything because each day you're going to be learning something new anyway, and it's going right. to be constantly changing anyway. It's so, like, it's like you, you have to always be prepared yeah. to jump into it, to learn something not be afraid of like the new oh man one more thing oh I, yeah this isn't my job oh you can't have that mentality no. it has to be like bring it it's yeah. gonna be fun let's figure it out and a, and a good team obviously helps yeah oh for sure yes surround and having people you trust around you is absolutely the most important thing ever like, I, I choose trust over skills a lot of the time too yeah you know for sure you can teach most things like 
most skills can be taught. You know, I think there's certain personality traits and qualities that maybe not so much, but right. Um, if you have people that you gel with and trust, absolutely. That comes before anything that you could teach them along the way. Um, and those are the people to keep around. And it's definitely important, right? Because, you know, for me, like, for example, if I want to be a DJ and a photographer, which by the way, are each could be their own full-time careers, photography. All right. It's taking off for me. I'm doing next week, three gigs. So at three days out of next week, I will be shooting on busy, high, like high pressure, stress jobs. Okay. And then I'm also running a studio and I'm also putting out a weekly radio show right. for my DJ sets just to keep me active and keep me on top of new music and because I love to share music and it's fun for me. Yeah. And, you know, hopefully I'll get some gigs here and there. The point is, is that not that, oh, look at me, I'm awesome doing all these things. The point is, is that the reason I can do it is because I have a team. Yes. I, at, like, at the studio. Yeah. Yes. I have my my studio manager, Jesse, who I very much trust, as you mentioned, Um and, he, you know, I have someone in him who's very invested in the business and treats it like his own as well. So that leaves me lots of freedom. And then we have some great part-time staff as well, by the way, that he manages and I work with them as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but because of that, that frees me up to then be able to take on these photography gigs and be on set all day and not be like stressed the hell out, like what's going on at Astrolab. Yeah. I don't even have to worry about it when it comes to the day-to-day functionality of the place and the comings and goings. I like to be part of it because I enjoy the create creative process atmosphere and the and process yeah. and the networking and all that great stuff. But at the same time, I don't have to be there. I can st- remove myself from it and it will run just as successfully. Yeah. Uh, I, I basically just have to make sure to get the clients in there. Yeah. That's my role as, you know, as the owner and the sort of lead of all the marketing and sales. It's like, I'll fill the place and then, but then I don't have to worry about it. Right. Yeah. Cause you don't want to be stuck in that ops mode, you know, which no, which is like it's it's a it's a double edged sword, right? You don't want to. It can very quickly, at least in my business, it can very quickly. In my business, it's funny. I keep saying that, you know, to all sorts of people. My in my business, yeah. What the hell is my business? My business is space, you know. Yeah. And it's like we met because of the studio stuff. We do studio stuff. We do yeah. co working. We do meetings. We do everything, right? It's if you're not sleeping here, and uh, you know, yeah. We we do we we'll give you a place to do whatever else you're doing. Anyway. But yeah, this is the nature of being a host of any space-based business, right? Is that it can quickly become faulty towers. You yeah. know that show? I've never seen it now. Oh my god. Do you know Monty Python? Yeah. Okay, John Cleese, the tall chap from uh from that show, uh, had a show called Faulty Towers where he basically he is so funny. He runs this bed and breakfast sort of hotel yeah. with his wife and uh it's literally like a bootstrap thing. They live I think in it. There's always something going wrong. And, uh, you know, you could fall into that trap very easily where it's like you're either over-designing your product. Yeah. You're talking about configuring rooms and stuff and yeah. keeping a pulse on who you're changing, uh, what the changing needs of your customer base are as yeah. they change. You could go to the full nine every time that you see there's an indication, you know, as a, someone who's running a space that like, oh, people really want this kind of functionality. I'm going to get this equipment. Yeah. And then no one uses it. Or, you know, there's so many yeah. rabbit holes. But I find that, I fall into those rabbit holes if I'm over involving myself in operations mm-hmm. instead of just saying that's true. I'm gonna just you know yeah. stick to the greeter role. You've got a great team kind of like running the day to day, helping you, keeping you away from operations mm-hmm. nightmares. Mm-hmm. Um, the question is, you know, how you manage your your time and effort, and also how deep in the water you're going with your photography stuff. Yeah, 
Well, I think um, as far as it will go, really, is the answer to that question. And, you know, if I have to hire a replacement or um, bring my studio manager who's currently focused on operations more so than sales and sort of groom him, maybe, and bring him up into my role and to take over for me, mm-hmm. um, if the opportunity is there, that is what I will do, right? So, like, right now, I'm still fairly connected to Astrolab. Um you know, obviously, I, as I said, I have a great team, so I can step away. But at the same time, on the flip side, I am still very connected to it. And it's a huge part of my day to day. Right. And it has to be because right. I, I have to make sure it stays successful and grows and continues to get more succe- successful. Sure. But uh, if there comes a time where it's like, wow, I've got so much opportunity to shoot and it's all gigs that I want to be doing. So I'm going to keep saying yes to them because I want to do them. Mm hmm then eventually uh, the dream would be to hire a replacement for myself and not even have to even think about the sales side of Astrolab and the like day-to-day client relationship as much either. And then I can still be the face. I can still lead things from the top down, but um, step away even further from it and allow it to you know continue to be successful mm-hmm. and, uh, and also at the same time get to do what I really love to do which is why I created Astrolab in the first place. I didn't create it because I, well, okay, I, I saw the need, right, as I mentioned, so mm-hmm. I knew there was a need, and that's really why I created it, because I knew there was a business there. But why I really did it was that I wanted to have a platform, a foundation for myself to be creative and pursue these creative things. Right. And it's now doing that completely, 100%. So it's working, right? Yeah. So there's no, as far as I'm concerned, there's no stopping, you know. You're not switching carts, you know. It's like, it's part of the whole journey that you pre-planned, yeah. yeah. To a degree, yeah. And I'm just kind of at the same time going with the flow. I'm not like, nothing's predetermined and nothing's certain, right? Mm-hmm. I take things day to day, always. But the trajectory that it's on certainly is is going the way that I hoped that it would. In that, yeah, I've the opportunities that I've had, I mean, I only got them because of the people that I know because I had the studio. Right. They got to know me and got to see that, oh, wow, you're actually a talented photographer. I got to ask Do this you question. shoot? And I'm like, well, you know, I shoot for fun. They're like, oh, would you be interested in shooting on this job? And I'm like, sure. That's how this all started for me, really. Like, uh, why have you chosen to separate Adam, the photographer, from, yeah. let's say, the studio's professional services division? Well... Uh, I'm not necessarily choosing to separate them. I mean, my overall brand, because I now have, I have to have my own brand, right? Especially if I'm going to be a DJ and a photographer yeah. too. I think most successful photographers have their own brand. And so I just taken my last name. It's just Whitener. And I've had a really nice logo design that I think really suits my personality and who I am. Mm-hmm. It's very fun and creative and young at heart. It's totally fun. As I always will be. And that serves for everything that I do, right? I'm whitener across the board for all of them. Mm-hmm. It's the same logo I use on my f- my photo Instagram. Is the same logo I use on my music Instagram. They're both the same thing. Mm-hmm. Different colors, but the same logo and uh, same overall brand. So I'm hoping to not have them be too separate yeah. by any means. But uh, I do definitely see my role at the studio still being more of a functional role and less of a creative role, even though I'm definitely always looking to find creative ways to grow the business and creative ways to make it be amazing. Uh, there's, you know, creativity somewhat in all of it. It's more of a business thing and it's, I don't see it as much as just like a fully creative thing. Whereas with the music and the 
photography, those are purely creative pursuits for me. And I don't really look at them as much as businesses, even though they have the potential to be fantastic businesses. Mm-hmm. I that's not the approach I'm taking. Do you think the in creative um, services? Yeah, that's something that can lead people to success if they're capable of doing it. The idea of like not having to turn uh, everything that they do for clients into its own business, and then you know pigeonhole themselves or other mm-hmm. you know downfalls that might come with that. Well, I'm like, no one wants to be stuck being a wedding photographer, no matter what they say. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's tough, right? Because everyone's got to eat. So if you're in a position where you can either make rent, um, and put food on the table, but it means you're going to have to take that next wedding gig again. Um, then, you know, I sympathize with that and do it. I, yeah, yeah, that's what you gotta, you gotta do what you gotta do. And that's the way I would approach anything. Like, like I said, I'm only lucky that I'm in this position because Astrolab is working. Mm-hmm. And since I can rely on Astrolab on its own, I don't really need these other things. I get to be picky about the jobs that I do. And it's not making me rich, but like I said, that's okay because that was never the goal anyway. Yeah, we were talking offline about this idea of fulfillment and being able to uh, find fulfillment creatively by focusing on the gigs that you want to do, right? The work yeah, that you want to do. Exactly. And so that being a, a huge plus and a recommendation that you made, you know, to people listening or whatever, if they, uh, if they're able to focus yeah. on that uh, and not sacrifice their revenue, exactly, right, then it's going to lead them down a path that's their own. Yeah. And I think for anyone, like even, you know, someone who struggles the most with this, if they can just take on the odd side thing, mm-hmm. maybe it's lower pay or it's not paid or whatever, but it's very, very in line with their passion and like where they hope to go with their career. Yeah, They can start small and maybe they'll have to put in a little extra work because they're also taking on all the gigs that pay them in addition to now doing this. Mm-hmm. And it might be a bit of a grind, but I do believe that if you're really passionate about it, it will build, momentum will build, and eventually the thing you were passionate about and doing on the side will become the main thing. And Mm -hmm. you will slowly be able to say no to the things you don't want to do anymore. But it's a process and it doesn't happen overnight. And that's why I say you just have, you know, start small. If you're not in a position to just be like right out of the gate, no, I'm going to be picky right now. Just start extending yourself onto some passion projects here and there a little bit by bit and establish yourself there, establish a name, establish some work, whatever, doing those things. And it will lead to the right opportunities coming your way we were also talking offline about that i you know in questioning how the different medium that you or mediums that media that you work with Mm -hmm. right um play off each other and enable your creative process with anything that you're working on right music equals life right uh whether you're you know getting gigs uh commercial gigs to dj or um, music's enabling the uh, stylistic yeah. uh, production of a pho- uh, photo yeah. or just simply having tunes on in the studio when you're shooting something. Yeah. Um, I think it's, it's doing all those things. Yeah. <laughs> it seems to be, yeah. So I mean, I just had to turn down a DJ gig a couple weeks ago because I had a photo gig. Then this goes back to an earlier question, I think, about how balancing it all. But right, yeah. How do you I balance? had a photo gig in the morning, which involved two Toronto Raptors for a very large, two large, very recognizable brands. And so that's a pretty high pressure shoot. 
I don't get a lot of time with these guys either. It's like mm-hmm. they give me like 15 minutes to shoot what? with them. Wow. Yeah, and, and a whole shot list of things I have to capture in that time. But I, but I love it. That's like, kind of that's fun. You either get it or you don't, you know? Well, no, you get it. There's okay. no one don't get it. No, you get it. <laughs> and you probably, hopefully you get something even different and more than what they were hoping for. You get yeah. them the base shot list, but within there you find other opportunities. And anyway, that's not the point. The point was I got a late call to do this. Uh, it was for a rap party from um, a production that was rapping. Okay, okay. I know this producer through the studio. She's a client of mine there. And a colleague, and she reached out to me. She's been following me and seeing all my DJ stuff, and she likes the music that I play. So she was like, "Hey, can we hire you? Like, we'll pay good money, but like the party's tonight. We we want to throw a party tonight." And we just had this idea last minute, like we should get a DJ, and that's why I'm calling you. And I was like, "I want. I would totally love to, but I can't because first thing in the morning tomorrow, I'm getting up bright and early, and I'm going to this shoot, and it's like a high pressure thing. I need to be in the right mindset and like focus. I can't be up all night DJing." before going and doing this like there's just no way i can do it so it's about knowing like where what is at the end of the day the priority right i i'm only one person so right now the priority is definitely photography and that's more closely linked to the studio business Mm -hmm. and it's something i can actually utilize the studio to do i can actually utilize the studio for music and djing too that's a whole but it's more closely related so it's it's definitely the priority for sure um right now but thinking like 10 years ahead mm-hmm. i could see it shifting where they're either equal or who knows i who I'm, knows, yeah. I'm not i don't want to close any doors if things go in a certain way with the djing i'm not i won't say no to that i have no intention of being like a touring dj by the way mm-hmm. um just to be clear it's grueling uh, i've done it oh really yeah, I used to have a music festival called the Indo Electronica Festival that I produced. Wow. Uh, synonymously titled with my record label. Yeah. Indian Electronica Records. Wow. Um, and we partnered with the BBC Asia Network out of Birmingham yeah. and did live broadcasts uh, when we produced these shows. And uh, I did it annually for two years. Then I couldn't do it anymore. It's too much. Yeah. Uh, but in London, Bombay, New York, and wow. Toronto. Nice. Uh, and in like, for example, in the London dates, like London 2006, we had taken over this old club in East London in Shoreditch and it was a two floor venue. Yeah. I literally had planned, I think, 20 acts into one night. It was turnovers every 30 or 45 minutes. New band. And we're talking like bands with kids. Yeah. You know, yeah. it was a crazy production given that like only 400 punters came through the door. Right. There was no money involved, mm. you know. It was a hole in my pocket, right. if anything, yeah. or uh, or my sponsoring brother's partner's, you know, <laughs> pocket. And uh, but it was at the time it was just something that like you know I I was pushing because we needed dates to push the record label, and so we had to get performances and we had to yeah. like you know keep in touch with the audiences all over the world. Right. And the timeliness of it all was epic because some of the guys that shared stage like I invited some people to the to the London stage in that year, um, and now I kid you not. I kid you not. There is one particular artist named Nuclea. Nuclea is like the biggest electronic music artist in India, Mm. which means in the world. He plays out, right? We're talking about like, okay, Glastonbury main stage is wonderful, right? You've got, I don't know how many people, 40,000, 30,000 people in the audience there. In India, there's these festivals these days. And when we went there, there was like 100 people in the audience and it was like very boutique and very cool and suave, right? (laughs) Everyone drinking martinis. 
listening to electronic music. It was ahead of its time. Yeah. Uh, a couple of years later, Nuclear is playing to like a hundred thousand people. Yeah, they can't see him, right? But it's just like series and series of sound systems set up in some like mini, like a, a chunk of land that's just yeah. so huge. Yeah. yeah, it it boggles the mind. The 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 audience sizes in electronic music festivals over there now. Um, that's awesome. But yeah, of course, coming with all of that, whether it's small or big, is a lot of drama and sleepless nights and yeah. traveling and mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. And yeah. who, who wants that? No, not me. We're but too old. What I would love, though, is you know uh, perhaps a residency at like an awesome day party in Barcelona or something like that. Or here at Startwell in Toronto. Sure, yeah. I mean, I love Toronto, too. Don't get me wrong. But just, again, thinking long term, right. right? Like right. thinking 10 years, and that's not very long time at all but i will be approaching 50 by that time and if i can still have a business that essentially runs itself due to the great staff i have in place and that's all gravy then you know i can hopefully take on something like that if the opportunity were to present itself and so that's why i just put that idea out there even and that's always what i've done is like almost manifesting my destiny and it's not just like think about it and it will come obviously mm-hmm. You have to take steps and put in work to make anything happen in life. But I think it all starts with having that dream and putting the dream out there and then slowly but surely taking the steps to see that dream come to fruition. Maybe along the way the dream changes and that's okay. Adapt with the dream, right? And let it change. But uh, ultimately, when you do that, you end up where you want to be, right? That's been my experience. Chasing your dream. Not even chasing it, creating it, really. Like, knowing what it is, but then, like I said, taking the steps and doing the things. You're not chasing a dream. You're living That's the one dream. way, I guess, to you're put it. You're living the dream. You're making yeah. the dream. You're, you're defining literally, the dream and living yeah. the dream. You're making it and living it all at once, right? So you didn't, at the when beginning of this- When you approach it that way. At the beginning of this, didn't I promise some 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 stories of magical adventures? Yeah, That sounds did. pretty That's magical. True. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, when you look at it that way, it does. Um, to me, that's just like normal daily life, you know? Like, And speaking about like um, every day as an opportunity, you mentioned that earlier. Yes. I agree with that very strongly. Like I actually, I used to have a blog like back when I was in college. I don't know. It never went anywhere, but I, I probably had like one reader who wasn't me. Right. If I was lucky, but I used to blog here and there. And one of the blogs that I wrote about was just like, thank goodness it's another day. And it was all about really taking advantage of every single day. And every day can be Friday and every day can be Saturday if you treat it that way. For sure. And that's why when people ask me, they're like, oh, you must work nonstop, right? Because you're running the studio, you're doing this, you're doing that. And I'm like, yes, if you look at it that way, like if you think of it as work, like I never clock out, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's not work just, isn't at odds with your life. You're just Exactly, living. that's right. Yeah. So in that sense, because of that, for me, every day is Monday and every day is Saturday. And it's really mostly just a mindset mm-hmm. and how I'm feeling that day. Some days do feel like Mondays for me. You know, I sometimes just have shitty days or days where I'm not feeling my best, whatever. Sure. It happens to the, all of us, right? Yeah. So those days could feel like Mondays, you could say. And then there's other days for me where I'm everything's going well. Business is running so perfectly. Everything's just kicking ass. And then those are my Saturdays, you know. But I think it's ultimately comes stems from your own mindset. And you can make every day Saturday if you want to. Thanks for joining me in studio, Adam. Thank you for having me, Kasim. It was a pleasure. Likewise, sir.